0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Open Floor. I'm Ben Golliver. Just a quick reminder, Andrew Sharp is on vacation, but I've got an incredible guest host for you this week. His name is Michael Lee. He writes at The Athletic. He's been covering the NBA for years, and uh, I think that's all you need to know. We're going to hop right into our conversation, which was taped earlier this week in Las Vegas from USA Basketball Training Camp all right i'm here live in the bowels of the thomas and Mack center back once again in las vegas i can't escape this place i am joined by michael lee nba reporter from the athletic longtime nba reporter i'm gonna butter you up here right <laughs> off the top uh by by giving you the best compliment i can think of which is i get more jealous of your story angles more often i think than just about any other writer out there you tend to cover guys i like kevin durant John Wall, you know, kind of the list goes on and on. So I really appreciate you taking the time for doing this and for constantly having me think, man, I, I wish I had written that.
1: Oh, I th- appreciate that, man, because I, I, s- I have feel the same way about, you know, a lot of stories you write, too. So
0: yeah, You don't have to lie. It's okay. No, no, I'm dead serious.
1: <laughs> so I there, there, there have been stories that you've written that I was like, man, I wish I had thought of that
0: one so well all right enough backpacking and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know mutual happiness here i want to talk uh, about the start of the greg popovich era yeah uh, here with usa basketball because we're here covering their opening camp of course the headline story was not a lot of superstar level players are here but they do have a pretty solid and deep i think you know b team that's kind of shaping up b team i think it's a c team a uh, c team okay
1: yeah i mean i'm not I mean, it's not being dis- disrespectful um but if you think about it The original 30 man roster, they probably added another 15, and those guys backed out, and now you have these guys. So, this isn't really the 18, but I carry on. I'm
0: sorry. No, no. If Kemba Walker's family comes after us for denigrating him in this way, you know, we'll be sure to uh, have our responses ready. But, (laughs) no, there's no question. I mean, Kemba Walker, Chris Middleton, Kyle Lowry, those are the most established names. Those are not, you know, A list type guys. But I think, you know.
1: Kemba moved up in there being an All NBA guy. So he would he would be in the mix considering and uh you know Kyle i mean Kyle's injured so we'll see where he winds up
0: so we're settling on b minus or c plus <laughs> well i mean but those
1: guys are b b and but then you got the younger guys right. who a lot of people, a lot of fans in the NBA haven't really heard of yet.
0: Right. So we can set aside, you know, <laughs> the specifics of like, the you know, the 12 deep roster. and Just, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. culture wise here with Popovich. Yeah, we, we've gone through two practices so far. Have you noticed uh, any shift in dynamic or a change of pace? Because to me, Coach K was a pretty buttoned up guy. Right. I mean, everybody knows mm-hmm. Army grad. And, and Popovich, you know, to a certain extent is, too. I mean, he's he's yeah. known for being short in his interviews. Uh, obviously, the, the patriotism angle is, is huge for him because he went to the Air Force Academy. Yeah. But is there a different vibe that you're feeling out here? Totally different because they're definitely different
1: personalities. Um, you know, I think they're both really smart guys. Um, obviously, that's, they have success. You probably have the most successful college coach with, you know, the most successful professional coach. Uh, Now, uh, but you also have like Pop has a way of doing things, like he's used to being the man. Like doing, I mean, I guess they're similar, you know, in in that respect. They're both military guys. They're both very structured. You can even tell like the way practices are concluded and how they treat the media now. Right. So, so walk me through that.
0: What are they? What's the deal? I mean, it sounds like they put some time on the clock. Yeah. And then what do they do
1: at the at the end of the 30 minutes? They kick us out. Like in the past, you used to kind of hang around a little bit if a player if you were talking to a player you know you could spend as much time as you want sometimes a player would just say like i remember a couple years ago with Marcus Cousins like we were talking it wasn't even like on the record we were just talking and security guy was like hey uh media's got to get out of here DeMarco's like hey man we talking and <laughs> they left and left us alone this time I don't think it's going to be that way yeah, so the
0: old way was the writer's dream and now it's like Popovich has his goons coming for you right yes
1: now they kick us out because you know Popovich wants to hit that bus and head back to the hotel and, and get back to working um uh, but but I think that It's going to be a different type of vibe too because you have a pro coach now, a pro coach coach coaching pros. I think that there was a sort of um, with Coach K around. I think that the guys sort of knew that there was no possible hint of any sort of agendas or any previous biases based on you know matching up against guys, you know scouting them, you know um, forming game plans on how to beat them. I think this time, Popovich probably understands these players you know more than coach K did and so he probably already has some preconceived notions about guys that may be broken or or changed because he's had a chance to see them and you know play against these guys It
0: was always bests. funny with coach K cuz he would do like a five-minute-long speech about LeBron's greatness, right? But then you might, like, drill down to, like, the seventh or eighth player, and it would get to be, like, very quick and generic comments of, like, oh, yeah, he played hard. You know, like, (laughs) (laughs) you could tell, like, maybe the, like you're saying, the scouting knowledge level might not have been, you know, especially at the start of camps, uh, where it would just automatically be for Popovich given what he's doing sort of in a day-to-day situation. Uh, There's an interesting dichotomy, I think, with Popovich's personality because you're right, like, it's, you know, everything runs on time. So when the media session is over it's completely over and that's just it but i also feel like especially on day one he seemed like he wanted to strike kind of almost like a joyous or an upbeat kind of a positive uh, vibe in his comments i think his main kind of headline statement was look we live in a, de- in a divisive time mm-hmm. we want this team to sort of be a-, a unifying force you know potentially bringing fans together um and, you know, you could see him just kind of running around the gym, joking with guys, kind of patting people on the back, kind of hassling reporters here and there a little <laughs> bit. Um, it was a more open and friendly version, at least when he was supposed to be on, he was on. And it was yeah. like, okay, it's time to be off. Now we're off. I, I, that was just kind of the vibe I got from him. And we never really got Coach K's sort of f- the friendly Coach K, you know. Yeah. He's, maybe there is yeah, no friendly I mean, Coach K.
1: I, I remember talking to people who dealt with Coach K on a regular basis, and they were like, oh, he's so much different here. You know, because he was, you know, a little more warm and friendly. He was available. He was accessible. um, And which is he's not always at Duke. I mean, if you need to get him, it's a hassle. Um, And Popovich is probably the same way dealing with the media in San Antonio. But, like, here he has an obligation that he has to talk, you know, after every practice. And I wonder if that's actually going to, you know, hold up, you know, if he's going to be like, okay, I'm not talking every day. I may talk, you know, every other day. And I wonder if he'll eventually start establishing rules to where he doesn't have to give daily updates about who looked good and how the team looking. Um, But I I do want to add this about Pop, because I I think this is something that, you know, I got from, you know, uh, talking to Jerry Colangelo this week. And one of the things that that really stands out to me is I don't know if people really understand Popovich's past, you know, with Team USA and just how, um, you know, he was a part of the team that sort of, you know, sparked this whole you know change in you know with Jerry Colangelo coming in and taking over and hiring Coach K. He was on that 0-4 team that blew it, you mm-hmm. know, in Greece, and that loss stings. That loss sits with him more than any loss that he's ever had experienced. And you know, he's had some.
0: Well, that's the thing. Like, if you're a patriotic person, he clearly is. I mean, you can just kind of sense the the responsibility he feels. And, and the same deal with Coach K. Yeah, it's like that loss. It's not just uh, you know your garden variety loss. It's not just like a gut punch. It's like a source of shame. Right? Yeah, because it, it wasn't just that they lost the games. It was that they were an embarrassment.
1: You know, because I can get, I think if they competed hard, and, or at least there was a perception that they competed hard, and guys were giving it their their best effort, then I think that's one thing. But it was just like you losing to Puerto Rico, and you know. Tim Duncan's like fouling out of every game
0: right. and you know and it becomes this whole narrative of oh, our our American players now entitled right like all yeah. those like negative things that were kind of yeah. bubbling yeah. And in you, the and NBA. You had a bunch time. of
1: guys who had reputations that sort of fed into it like Allen Iverson and Stephon Marbury. I mean you go back and look at that team you're like yeah they had the talent but how in the world was Larry Brown <laughs> going to really bring it together and then Larry Brown you know I think he sort of set the tone in, in a negative sense because he spent so much time, like after practice, just talking about, I don't think these guys really understand what this is all about, and he he just lamented you know, about just how awful their attitude was. And I remember because I covered that '04 team, and I was around them all the time, and I was able to get into the practices. And there were so many things that that we as media members saw that made it look worse than what it was. Like I remember Carmelo Anthony. You know on that team um whenever we showed up they open up the media we walk in and carmelo would be there without a shirt without a, with, a sh- with no shirt on mm-hmm. he wouldn't have his uniform on right so you know the people were writing that oh carmelo doesn't want to be a part of the team he's not even he's so embarrassed of this that he's not playing and hmm. he doesn't even wear his warm-ups and then it then it comes to find out that and did he did the same thing in Denver at practice because he just liked walking around with no shirt. Yeah, that's just how he liked to get around. You there know, was no political that, statement. Yeah, to yeah. It. there was no statement, but yeah. you 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 were able to just sort of say, "Oh, well, look at this this kid. You know, he's got these cornrows and these tats and walking around with no shirt. Like, look at him. He's just basically just saying." It's a stereotype. Yeah, you know, an, an, e- an easy an easy stereotype. It was an easy thing, and same thing with with Iverson and. Um, And, you know, so I think that, you know, that that team, you know, is always going to be, you know, seen as the bottom, you know, for for Team USA about, you know, where basketball was. It sort of just represented this low period of like, like we could blame AAU and just how there's no more, you know, passion and just for the the game of basketball. And I think it it really stung for, and it it stung with him for a long time because I think he really wanted the opportunity for redemption. And that's why when, you know, um, Jerry Colangelo, you know, hired um, Mike Krzyzewski. Well,
0: they were the two finalists, right? So yeah. So Jerry Colangelo is setting about this mission. How can we turn USA Basketball around? And he's picking between Coach K and Pop. Yeah. And like you're saying, it's the best coach in college versus the best coach in the pros. It's a guy, one guy with a military background, another guy with a military background. He goes Coach K. I think Colangelo said to me last week something along the lines of, Pop has longed for this opportunity. Yes. So So you think he's trying to make it right?
1: Yeah, and I think it means a lot for him that he gets a chance to sort of, you know, do what he couldn't do in '04. 4 I mean, um, you know, and there's a lot of factors as to why they didn't win. I mean, they still have the talent. I think they should have won regardless of all the things that went wrong. I mean, um, if – I mean, you look at that team now, you're like, okay, yeah, Richard Jefferson – and Sean Marion are playing ahead of Carmelo and LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. So is what not you're saying, minutes.
0: this is Larry Brown's shame. This is not America's shame. There, I'm saying there were a lot <laughs> of people who were responsible for it.
1: Um, you know, and uh, and I, I remember like I, I probably was I was really harsh on that team. I I, I I wrote some things back then, I was pretty young, but I was probably a little too harsh. Like I, I remembered uh, you know, saying how um, you know, Uh, Like I was really critical of Stu Jackson at the time because I I felt like he didn't do a decent job of actually assembling a team. He just kind of grabbed, you know, the best names that he possibly get, you know, who's left, Oh, Iverson, uh smart he's a star tim duncan he's a star and i think i even wrote at the time i was like you know you had the dream team and now you have the marketing scheme team
0: <laughs> like well, they learned this lesson though right because yeah. you look at the next teams like they're always making sure to put on that tayshaun prince at the end of the roster or the andre Guidal at the end of the roster i think this year it's probably going to be pj tucker who or may that, actually play that a lot of, young. or Thad young who, who those guys will probably play some real minutes and Popovich, I think, said it on Monday. It's like you can't just throw 12 All-Stars together and think it's going to work. Yeah, I
1: mean, you got to have guys who are willing to accept roles. I mean, you have Michael Redd in 08, you know, guys who are going to be able to say, okay, I'm not going to get all my minutes. I'm going to have to take a back seat. You know, you well, had Harrison Barnes. Well, let me twice. ask you
0: this. I mean, you're, you're older, wiser, more mature than you were in 2004. <laughs> but let's say this team, you know, the unthinkable happens and they don't win gold. Are you, are you breaking out uh, – you know, you're No, because I don't think that
1: – I mean, I think that they have the talent to go out there and win the gold medal, and I think that's the attitude and the approach they're going to go um, because I don't think that the world that there – there is a lot of individual talent in the NBA that's probably, you know, better than, and deeper, just, you know, just a lot of deeper individual crop of talent. But collectively, I mean, where where what teams do they have to really worry about, like, um, you know – uh, you know, Canada doesn't is not they can't they can't get anybody to want to play for them. But yeah, I there's, mean, there's clearly a lot of great Canadian. Yeah, players. like Jamal
0: Murray's out for Canada. You've got Ben Simmons out for Australia. So I think that when you're looking at I think the the high level teams, it's going to be Spain. Spain is older, right? Serbia um, potentially. Yeah, Serbia
1: is definitely going to be dangerous. Um, you know, but, Greece is going to play with Giannis.
0: But, but isn't it a little weird that we have a major international tournament where the best players are Jokic and Giannis? and the American best player is not even really in the same category from a superstar standpoint, when was the last time America competed in an international tournament and did not have the best player? I mean, it's before the dream team won, right?
1: Yeah, I I, I, I can't, I mean, think Oscar Schmidt or somebody, like I I can't think of a situation where the best player in the the world was not from the United States, but if you look at what's happening and, and you look at where the NBA is right now, you have Giannis who was the MVP, you look at just, you know, Rudy Gobert was, uh, is from France. He's Defensive Player of the Year. You had Pascal Siakam, who was most improved. And if you look at the top players, 25 and under, you probably could argue that the top six, top if you could go to mm-hmm. the top ten, top six are probably from overseas. You know, you got Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, Carl um, Anthony Towns. Because yep. he, he's not, he's Dominican. He, he can't compete for the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so and they uh, could use him in this tournament too. Yeah, Ben Simmons. Um, I, I'm not sure who else I mentioned, but you could probably say that the top six guys. And then when you go to the next, the next tier, you know, talking about 25 and under, it's what Devin Booker. Um,
0: yeah, no, I mean, uh, it, no.
1: So, so I'm saying, like, I think I think we're at a state where you know, the face of the league is not necessarily an American face.
0: So what you're telling me is you're not going to be killing the team if they don't win this year, but you are a little bit nervous about the Olympics maybe six years from now. Uh, Yeah, I am because... um, Is that a good thing for basketball? I mean, like, we could step back from USA basketball and just say, is it good for the game where you could have some of these teams where they're not just winning on, like, chemistry and they're not just winning on the fact that they've played together for 10 years, but they're also winning with top five level talent guys who are representing their own country. I mean, I think that that could boost basketball even to a different degree globally. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Goliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side. Your Sleep Number setting its the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed a queen now for only 17.99 you'll only find sleep number at sleep number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com that's www.sleepnumber.com well, so, hey, on this question of uh, young players, rising talents, and in, in the globalization of the game, we got an email from uh, a gentleman who called himself the greatest ability. One of my favorite phrases is the greatest ability is availability. availability. So he actually started an email account with that name, so I'm very <laughs> honored for that. Uh, he emailed us at openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And, and, Michael, he says this. He says, I think there's going to be a huge story this year we're going to get a real glimpse at the future stars of the NBA. It seems like every couple seasons there's a new batch of superstars who take a leap around the same time. This year there are so many potential players in position to do that uh, who could, you know, build on a big year and transcend that into, you know, superstar level career. Uh, He listed a bunch of different names. Ben Simmons, Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, De'Aaron Fox. Uh, Jalen Brown and and Devin Booker Uh, I mean first of all that is a lot of potential names that he's thrown out there and that's not just like two or three some of those guys are here in Las Vegas I'm curious of that group and this isn't necessarily just about standing out here in Vegas but just sort of for your expectations heading into the the 2019-20 season are there any of those guys who pop more than others who you're thinking, hey, this could be a guy who makes his first all-star team or this could be a guy who really has it? Yeah. Because uh, I'm starting to get a couple ideas, but I'll, I'll let you go.
1: Um, I guess to me the, the name that stands out the most, I mean, there's a couple I mean, there's a couple names on there. Um, but Donovan Mitchell, the fact that he's here and he's going to have an opportunity to really perform. Um, I've been hearing good things about the way he's looked so far um, in camp. Um, I think that having Mike Conley there, having more veterans around, to take the pressure off of him to where he doesn't have to feel like he has to go one-on-one and carry the team. It's going to help, you know, open up his game, um, you know, just that, that the way they built that team in Utah this year. I think he's, he's going to be uh, next in line to become an all-star. Um, uh,
0: on that point real quick, so I was talking to uh, Lloyd Pierce, the Hawks coach about what he wants, you know, the next steps for Trey Young. I think Trey Young, to me, is a name that could really pop. Maybe not this coming season, but uh, I I think he's going to be a future all-star sooner rather than later. And one of the things that he was stressing, I think, also applies to Mitchell. And he's saying, look, we got to get this guy off ball. And I'm saying, well, are you just trying to sort of mimic what the Warriors did with Steph Curry? And he's like, basically, yeah, because if your best player is getting blitzed, you have to have counters. And your counters can't just be he's an amazing passer because, you know, eventually that's going to dry up. He's saying look you got to move around off ball get get your best shooter good shots from different places and you know it's almost like a deprogramming that these guys go through because when you're the lead ball handler in aau and you're coming all the way up and you're being judged on your scoring number and how many assists you get and that's sort of the track that trey young has taken and and maybe even a guy like Donovan mitchell too where he's he's primarily being judged by how much he's scoring those guys are not accustomed to being off the ball and i think at times You either see them wear down physically or you see the efficiency numbers drop, which is really what happened to Mitchell last year, where all of a sudden he's now looking like almost Westbrook out there where he's hitting (laughs) 30%, and the fans are like, hey, wait a minute, what's going on? You bring Conley in, now the off-ball stuff is, like, totally wide open for Mitchell, right? And he's probably – if he's smart, he's licking his lips at that opportunity.
1: Yeah, because he's going to – I mean, people question his shot and his ability to hit the shot. Now he has to make the shot because, you know, when – Conley's driving and kicking out, like he's going to be kicking out to Donovan Mitchell. He's going to have to really expand that part of his game.
0: They should be better shots. I mean, that's the yeah, hope, right? It's they like, open looks. They yeah. won't
1: – with uh, one or two people, like, in his face, It won't be contested shots. Um, they won't be things where he's just trying to – just drive in a lane and draw fouls, you know. He'll actually – have the floor kind of open up to him in different ways, and I, that's why I love what Utah did this summer because it's going to really help Donovan Mitchell a lot of ways to grow. The the, the player um, that I I really like, and I think that he has the ultimate star potential, and I think that if he makes this team, that this this could really be a coming out party for him is De'Aaron Fox. Um, I think when you look at that 2017 draft class that came in and was just awesome right away, right? We're like, oh, this is a really great class. And then last year, most of them sort of took a step back and it was like, I don't know what is this group like Jason Tatum you know we all thought he oh he's just gonna be a star well one thing
0: about that class I wrote this in my newsletter a couple weeks ago there have been so many trades either directly impacting those players or kind of like secondarily impacting them you look obviously Fultz gets traded for Tatum so like that's right off the top right Uh, but you got Lonzo who just got traded and you just go right down through the 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 list of that draft class Uh, you know trades have impacted those guys now you know you could say that in certain situations traits are going to be setting these guys up for greater success but i think for fox he's like the one guy where it's untouched where if you're sacramento you've actually been able to build around him for multiple seasons now
1: yeah and he was the guy that actually improved from the previous year And, you know, his athleticism off the chart, we all know he's the fastest guy with the ball just in the end. Like, you can't just keep him in front of you. But he also can get to the rim and finish. He dunks on people. Um, And he has a personality. Like, he wants this. I remember talking to him right after he got drafted about Sacramento. And, like, you know, he was too young to really know the history, like, when they actually were good for that short stretch for Chris Webber and those guys. And but he's but he was telling me, like, I want to bring it back, I want to bring it back to that, I want to go back to the C. web days when and I'm like, uh, wow, like, this guy, <laughs> he's breaking you know, up
0: it, the cowbells, yeah,
1: like, he gets it, like, he understands what yeah. his responsibility is and just what it means to be playing for the Kings, you know, organization that really hasn't had a lot of success. And I think the fact that they were right there, they had some su- a little bit of success last year, they were sort of on the cusp of making the playoffs, they were in the race, you know, probably to the last month or so. So it was like a I think it was a great experience for them but I think this is an opportunity for him playing with coach playing under coach Popovich where he's going to get us understanding of what it means to you know on the defensive end just what he's going to have the commitment he's going to make on that end of the floor um so I'm really looking at him to me to sort of be like the true like kind of breakout star from this because um you know international play a lot of it is hinged on great guard play
0: so here's a comp for you Uh, this one might give me a little trouble might be a little aggressive but the way people are talking about Fox here this week in Las Vegas reminds me of the way they were talking about a young Kyrie Irving. You remember that first video where Kyrie yeah, was he's like dribbling between yeah, guys? I mean, everybody's seen legs, that one where he's doing like 360s down the court and like just going through all-stars left and right. Now, granted, there's not as many all-stars for Fox to sort of <laughs> yeah. school out here, but it's the same level of appreciation. Like even Kemba, who I think is probably like pencils in as the starting point guard, lead playmaker for this team, Yeah, it was saying, man, Fox is the real deal. Like this guy's, you know, he, he's something special. And you just kind of get those those cosigns for different players. You also saw that I think the respect factor from USA Basketball itself saying, "Look, Fox, you were on the select team, but we're coming into camp now. All right, you're on you're on the big team." Yeah, and I, I thought
1: that was a huge statement because I think that let you know right away what they think of him, and just the fact that his trajectory, like he's because I mean, it's not even just his game. Because you know, like there are a lot of guys that have the game. He actually has the personality too. Like he he wants he wants this. He likes the stage. He's got a little uh he, he can joke around he can he has a you know a great smile like he just wants to like be a part of all of this and so he's he's got the game and he's got the personality and I think that you know he he i'm I'm pretty high on him and just what he could possibly be
0: no I'm with you last year I mean he averaged seventeen and seven last year he upped his three point shooting to thirty seven percent which is obviously right where you want it if he maintains that and there's not regression there um I mean, he's looking like an offensive stud. I think he's got a lot of defensive p- potential too. The personality stuff, I mean, there's no question there's a moxie, there's a charisma there. That was another thing that uh, you know Lloyd Pierce actually said about Trey Young. He's like, Trey's still so young yeah. that he's learning how to do that. And I think that Fox is just sort of maybe wired a little bit different where maybe he started at a younger age or maybe it's just the benefit of, of maybe being a, a more talked about you know recruit com- coming up yeah. uh, where it just kind of comes second nature to him. Uh, where you know, Pierce is almost saying, "I'm trying to teach Trey how to be a leader." And some of that is confidence, and some of that is, uh, you know, just you know, feeling comfortable and and not being too humble or too shy.
1: Yeah, one thing I like about Trey too is just how. Um you know he sort of he's sort of been through it. You know, like his 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 freshman year in college, you know he came out with a bang. He's getting 40 point, 12 assist games like every night, and right. like everyone's like, oh look at this guy. He's, then people figured him out a little bit, and right. he had a, some struggles. Then he goes to the NBA and he starts off kind of rough, and then he hears all this Luka hype, and then like he could have easily just broken at that point. But no, he's like, a man. mentally tough guy, man. But I, I he respect him. Back and yep. he came back and was like, you know what? I'm gonna prove everybody who. Thought, who counted me out right away, I'm going to let you all know what I have. And I, I think that there's definitely a fire in him that, that that really encourages me, too, about, like, where he's headed. You know, because I, I was wondering, like, why he wasn't on the, the big team because yeah. I just feel like the where his path, where his career is going. I know we hate Steph Curry uh, comparisons, you know, with him, and it's not really fair to him. But there are some things that you can actually draw a comparison to in the sense that, you know, Steph rookie year – very very rough start, second half of the season, he probably was the best rookie in the second half of the season. Yeah. You can say the same thing about Trey Young. The difference for Steph Curry was that he actually was on the 2010 team that wound up, you know, going to the World Cup, World Championship at that time. And he was on that squad, so he got a chance to really get that taste of international ball then. Trey doesn't look like he's going to get that chance this year. But I think that being here, being in this environment, competing against these guys this week, I think it's probably going to give him a little bit of a hunger, you know, for more because he's probably going to be pissed that yeah. he didn't get a chance to compete with this. And I expect him to come out next season. You know, Atlanta has a lot more talent. Um, there's going to be a little expectation that they're going to, you know, be in that playoff chase at the end um yeah and they're they're
0: trying to duck that too i mean that was pretty clear to me i gave those guys both trey and uh coach pierce the opportunity to like let's set some benchmarks right they don't want anything to do with it it's like they just want to develop you know they want to take a step forward the one thing is i think that their pieces fit better they're still really young, and they that's and that's part of, you know, making the draft Vince moves. Vince back was big. Yep, uh, and so I, that could just be one thing where maybe it doesn't happen next season for them as a team. You know, maybe that leap, you know, comes another a year down the road, but I think they're going to be a, a fascinating team to watch. They're on the right track.
1: Yeah, now they're they're I think they're, they're building a culture there. They're establishing an identity for the organization. I think that's one of the key reasons why they want to bring Vince back because, you know, you have veterans in there who sort of, you know, can create that sort of camaraderie, help guys understand what it's about, what the team is about, sacrifice you have to make to be successful. Because, um, you know, everybody's coming in expecting to be the man. But, you know, when you're young, you know, you got to take a step back, and that's tough for young guys to accept. But when you got a guy that's played 22 years and, you know, was once, you know, one of the faces of the league, and now is like, you know, just that old, <laughs> really old vet <laughs> that's, you know, passing along wisdom, you're going to listen to him because you know he's seen and done it all.
0: Yeah. And I think that they've got a lot of guys there. They, I think they've targeted young personalities that are the type to be sponges and to listen. You know, like I don't, yeah. I don't get a lot of knucklehead vibes out of that Hawks team at all. No. And uh, I think that you know that helps too. It just makes the building, the organic building process a little bit easier. Uh, let's shift gears here, though, because I wanted to pick your brains on Kevin Durant's decision this summer. Now, I, I would consider you one of the longest-tenured Durant chroniclers <laughs> that's out there. I think you've, uh, you know, you've got a lot of you know, DMV ties, and, of course, yeah. he's from that area. Um, now, I think I've been on uh, the wrong side of the argument bo- with both of Kevin's decisions. I loved the Golden State decision. It seemed like the masses hated it. Yeah, I, I loved it, too. But yeah.
1: I, I'll, I'll tell you why. I mean, I, I just thought that um, I, 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 I didn't love it. I'd say I understood it, and I didn't knock him for it. Like, I, I would have liked it if he had gone somewhere else. But i totally got it and i and i don't think a lot of people truly understand what was behind that decision right and i can get into it if you want to,
0: well can. yeah i was gonna say real quick but on the nets decision uh i hated it like right off the bat i just i don't <laughs> like this idea of tying his career to kyrie i don't like the idea of going to an organization that's sort of not a premier place where you're you're kind of building stuff up i don't understand necessarily the appeal of sort of their front office and some of the other things that they were doing just it did not make sense to me at all. But I think that in general, people were either lukewarm on it or slightly positive on it. So yeah, walk me through what you think of of those two decisions. I okay. mean, first of all, which one did you like better? And then, well,
1: um, oh, I definitely like the Golden State decision better. Okay. Uh, I, I'm, I'm I'm sort of with you. Like, uh, I was a little baffled by Brooklyn, um, but I understand I understand why is Brooklyn. But I still don't necessarily know if uh, like.
0: Let's break it down. What were the factors that you think that maybe got underplayed for why he went to Golden State? Okay, I think
1: what people missed, you know, number one, um, he wanted to beat LeBron, okay? And when it came down to making a decision, what team could he go to that would guarantee him, one, that he get his chance to go at LeBron in, in the finals, and two, where he could actually beat him? And there weren't many options, for teams that had proven that they could beat LeBron James, Golden State had done it. Even though he lost to him in the finals, I think in his mind he knew that if he went there, then he's with a team that knows how to beat him and that he could be the piece that and could push them over
0: the And top. this is not just lip service, right? I mean, this is like a seven or eight year obsession for him.
1: Yes, because uh, I remember 2011 during that summer when um, the lockout summer. And, you know, that's kind of when I got to know Kevin a little more because. He was playing, like, every outdoor, indoor, whatever, pickup summer le- pro-am league. And he just played, just played the whole summer and just went up to the Rucker, got 66, and played, like, in D.C., all these, all
0: these other... Uh, I w- that video of the Rucker ages like fine wine. It's I, fantastic, I, It keeps right? getting recirculated this summer, yeah, yeah. and it's like... It's one of those things where I, maybe three years ago I would have been like, come on, guys, we're playing this out. Now it's like, well, because we're not going to get to see him next year. So I'm yeah. like, all right, I'm going to watch this for the 35th time this summer. Well,
1: one of the games that stood out was a game in Baltimore. Carmelo Anthony had a game um, at Morgan State, and he had Team Mello versus a team from D.C. So, but Team Mello had Chris Paul and LeBron James. And oh, the team boy. from D.C. had Kevin Durant and, like, a bunch of guys from D.C., like Jared Jack and stuff. And everybody in Baltimore – like, they were like, it was just great just to see all these NBA stars, like, on the floor. I mean, you had LeBron, like, yeah, and Carmelo crazy. and Chris Paul. You're getting the whole banana boat. Yeah, book. so, like, they're out there, and KD is going bananas. <laughs> he had 53 points, I believe. <laughs> and, like, he is going at it. Like, every time he gets the ball, like, the crowd's going crazy. Like, what's he going to do? And LeBron's, like, guarding him, right? And so, it's like, so KD's like, uh, and just hitting threes and everything on his face and the crowds going crazy they want LeBron to go back at him. Mm-hmm. LeBron doesn't go back at him. But every time Katie gets the ball, he's going at LeBron. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, yo, like he was like, okay, I'm coming for you. Sending a message. He sent it and then they wanted to meet in the finals, and LeBron got him. Right. And for the next, you know, 4 years, not
0: only did he get him, he sent him off the court in tears. I mean, yes. let's let's not underplay exactly. that. Yes. As, yeah yeah two of, you know, yeah. Kevin Durant's biggest defenders. We got yeah. to admit that 2012 finals was a tough look. Yeah,
1: he kicked his butt in the finals. And regular season games regularly kicked his butt. So, you know, if he wants to be considered the best, he has to beat the best, right? So I,
0: I want to say the record between head-to-head during the regular season was something like was 19 five and five, and, five and 18, five and 18 for Katie against yeah.
1: LeBron. Like it yeah. was bad. Yes. And and another thing too, like I know a lot of people were like, well, why don't you just stay in Oklahoma City? You know, mm-hmm. they you blew a three-one lead. You know that year, um, um, they lost to. Cleveland twice the Thunder lost to Cleveland twice that year and one of those losses was a home loss by like 25 points
0: so you're saying even if they get through the Western Conference finals and hold on they could still they would go to they would have got
1: Cleveland and he would have lost again Mm. and I I don't he's never said it but I wonder if that is something that was in the back of his mind like okay yeah we might beat the Warriors but what's gonna happen when we get there and get Cleveland you know yeah you know get get Cleveland right now and, you know, yeah. with LeBron and Kyrie and everybody well, fired up.
0: So to me, the most frustrating part of the Golden State Warriors era is you have Kevin coming down, hitting these three-pointers in LeBron's face. He's he's reenacting that Baltimore game that yeah. you were at. And he does have the better team. And I think people focus on how much help he had in that situation rather than the actual plays that he was making, which you know, his numbers in those finals are just absolutely outrageous. Yeah. And LeBron played very well in both those finals too. So, th- I mean, this he was a situation... He just.
1: He had, a, he had a better team. But I'm also – so I look at that. So he wanted to be LeBron. Second, he wanted what Oklahoma City was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. The Thunder was supposed to be what the Warriors became. That in, or, in terms or, of culture? Culture, an organically built team mm-hmm. where you commit to your young guys, you let them become the face of your franchise, and you stay with them. Mm-hmm. They – Clay, Draymond, Steph, that's their core, and that, that's the guys they're going to ride it out with. With Oklahoma City – When he first got there, you know, they built something. You know, he came there with Jeff Green. Next year they had Russell. Next year they had James Harden and Serge Ibaka. You got five guys here that should be the guys that you just build with and you don't let business get in the way. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they traded Jeff Green, you know, right in the middle of all that. You know, that was one of his good friends, you know, from the time they were together in Seattle. You bring in Kendrick Perkins, that's fine. You, You make it work. But then you let James walk. All of a sudden, you start pulling pieces away from what this is supposed to be, a group of young guys who grow up together and sort of grow old together. Mm-hmm. He never got that, that That Oklahoma City, for whatever financial reasons, whatever, they didn't really value what they could build in terms of a brotherhood of guys who sort of come up together and build something special.
0: The one thing that they could never justify it on is like the emotional thing, which is what you're talking about with Kevin, which is that's a slap in the face, and he's got to hear about it year after year after yeah. year after year so when you're when it's time to actually make that decision in 2016 like that is i mean it's not going to be like i'm leaving oklahoma city because of the Harden trade yeah but it's like those feelings and, and just like you know living in the shadow of what that team could have been i mean that's gotta that's gotta play I, I think, a factor right I,
1: yeah and I, I think that's part of the thing like everyone was like well you know he left because of russ and like there was just no it was just that it became him and russ you know it didn't have to be him and russ it was meant to be a team. It was mm-hmm. meant to be, you know, guys that just sort of did their thing. It, meant to, it was meant to be what the Ghost State Warriors were. Whereas, like, you have the Splash Brothers, but you have Draymond, you have Igodala, you have Sean Livingston, you have all these pieces of guys who are, like, around the same age, you know, sort of had the same sort of lifestyle, interests, just whatever, you know. With Draymond, he could hang out with him, you know, same way he probably did with, yeah, yeah. you know, James and um, Jeff and just all those guys. But, like, for him, it didn't seem like an odd pairing because he was used to playing with mvps he right was, he played with two of them right right so why is golden state any yeah, an he unusual, had a super team t-
0: taken away from him yeah. so why not just a why, just, why hop not just way? join one that yeah.
1: was that actually committed to what we should have committed to no that's really so interesting those are two things that i think people kind of overlook when they just jump on katie and say he joined a 73 and 19 how weak it was i was like yeah yeah you could say that but in his mind, that's not how he's viewing it because, in his mind, I'm, I'm the best player no matter what, no matter what team I'm on. Um, but what's around me and what was around him was just what he always wanted.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot and of sense.
1: Then, but so now you fast forward to him leaving that behind, um, I think he also knew that he wasn't going to be there forever, you know. Maybe he would have. Maybe it just turned into this – this grand, you know,
0: like Shangri La type thing, yeah, like everybody's
1: yeah. love each other, and it's like, oh, I can't leave this behind,
0: but it wasn't like that. But there he were, yeah, he got what he came for, right? Yeah, I mean, multiple it, it was finals a MVPs, mutually
1: beneficial, um, you know, experience. And it was, it was funny because I remember I interviewed him, you know, during the uh, season this year, and I just sort of wanted to ask him, like, you know, all that you've been through because he took a lot of heat, you know, and never seemed like he could ever enjoy what he accomplished there, and not necessarily because he didn't really enjoy it, but because no one ever let him. You know, he won Finals MVP. Like, yeah, whatever. You, yeah, everybody discredited what he did. Like, like you said, no one really looked at the fact that, you know, he had that 43 points in Game Three. I'm you telling know.
0: you, KD on YouTube in those finals is gonna be great 20 years <laughs> from now because yeah. once you strip away all of the, like the the anger and the animosity yeah. in the moment. People are going to go back and watch those duels. They're going to see what LeBron was doing. They're going to see KD's answers. They're going to see how excited Draymond and Steph were when he was banging yes, those shots yes. in the fourth quarters and the, just like the glee factor. Yeah, yeah. And I unfortunately, I think those moments are going to be lost because of just the way last season went, how awkward it was. I had somebody point out to me yesterday... Uh, I, I posted a, po- a photo of Steve Kerr, and he looks all tan and happy to be here. <laughs> and it's like the guy said, he's got a glow about him. Like the the KD is gone glow. You know, it's oh, like man. you got that cloud that was sort of on that franchise for you know a good eight months last year. And there was a cloud over the team. I, I mean, to me, I don't necessarily blame KD for all of that. I think that Draymond for sure went way too far earlier in that in that season. And it was right for a lot of those guys, being so bought in, that being the only team that they've ever known, yeah. to sort of expect everybody else to have that same philosophy. But I also think that he is right as any other free agent to keep his options open. It was just a very natural source of tension. So I'm curious, when you you were in the final at the finals, when yeah. he goes down, um, did that seal it? I mean, did you, or do you feel like he was already gone? I felt like he played because he was gone. Yeah,
1: I, I felt. Wait, like why do you say that? Because, you know, because like I was saying earlier, like I I talked to him about, like, was it worth it? And he he just explained to me why it was and all the things, the way his game advanced, the way he improved as a player, uh, the way he grew as a man, just being in the bay and just being in a different environment. Um, But then he said something to me about how, um, you know, how he's moved around his whole life and, like, he never really has stability. And for me, like, wow, like, it was just. Really deep quote that he sort of yeah. like, and then he's like, he said, I never knew that you know, I go to Oklahoma City, be there for eight years, or then, and then I come to the Bay and be there for three years. That's so what he said. It. <laughs> and I was like, Did he just say he'll be in the Bay for was three years? Was that past years? tense or de- <laughs> like Like, yeah, I was like, I didn't, I didn't, and I don't really know how to take it, but like, it was such a good quote. Like, that's the way he sort of ended the conversation. And I didn't really have a follow up because it was like such a good quote. I was yeah. just like, Wow, okay. And then I was sorry we ended it, but when I wrote it, I sort of left it there. But nobody really picked up on it. Like yeah. he said, I came to the Bay for three years. Mm. So I think in his mind, he already knew, you know, that once it became a situation where it wasn't mutually beneficial, that he would just move on. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's sort of the way he always approached it. Um, you know, and I think that his teammates probably recognized that too. You know, and I think that's that's probably what pushed Draymond over the edge in terms of how far he took it. You know, with him and and just how I think in some ways. You know guys you know probably felt like man this guy's leaving this thing this could be an all-time thing like this could be like celtics type you know you know with russell type situation i
0: will say i've been struck by how quickly and forcefully they're rebounding right like not only with with curse happiness but you hear steph who has never been a guy to pound his chest to say like i love hearing that the warriors are done right like i mean that's sort of like the headline from his facebook show you hear Clay saying, you know, you're ignorant if you think we're done. Yeah. Uh, Draymond kind of putting where his money where his mouth is Sticking and re-signing four, more years, four yeah. more years, $100 million. I think that they, they're feeling pretty good, far better, like, for a comparison. I mean, think about the Thunder when KD left, right? Yeah. It was like, who are we? Okay, Westbrook, you can just have the ball every single possession. We don't have anything else going on for us. We don't have any other structure. You're our team. With the Warriors, it's like not only can they fall back on what they were before Kevin Durant, but I think that they've also all grown and matured as players too. They're all basically still in their primes once Clay's back healthy. Um, I think that it's it's a very strange dynamic. Young uh,
1: young horse to sort of carry them, you know, a little bit. Well, so let's talk about the Brooklyn part of this. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so when he he picks Brooklyn, are you surprised when it happens? There were some indications, I guess, that Kyrie might be going there that, that got out a little bit early.
1: Yeah, I remember back in March. Um, you know, like the, all, all the like during the uh, um, All-Star weekend, everything is, oh, they're going to the Knicks. It's the Knicks. It's the Knicks. Nick, 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 Knicks. And then I remember in March, you know, I was talking to somebody, and they were like, yeah, now the, the word is now, you know, Katie, I mean, uh, Kyrie's saying that, you know, let's go to Brooklyn. Like, they wanted to go to Brooklyn, so they're going to Brooklyn. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, you know, people talk. because like, I'll wait and see. Right. Because to me, I thought that the Knicks, like, even though it's a crap organization, it's a better brand. You know, in terms it's of a recogni- lot bigger stage. Yes, and the recognition globally like, is what's the most valuable franchise, right?
0: It in is, and sports. I think the Nets had the lowest home attendance on average last year of yeah. any team, which is yeah. like that. I mean, again, we're talking about, okay, that's why this felt, it's felt so strange to me. Yeah, thing. like when,
1: when he actually signed there, I was just sort of like, oh, so wow, like, I got no one in New York, I mean, being in New York City, but I was surprised it was the Nets. And, you know, I've talked to people, you know, about like what – Really went down and like why it sort of turned out that way, and you know I've heard some things like maybe the Knicks weren't as interested in Kyrie as you know Kyrie may have been in them, and that mm-hmm. sort of led him to the Nets. And I know KD probably wanted to go to New York, but he didn't want to go with by himself, you know, because that that's the one thing that I think is was lost with Kawhi going to the Clippers. Yeah. Like yeah, he wanted to go to the Clippers, but he didn't want to go by himself. You know, I think LeBron sort of taught everybody last summer. Like when you move on, you better make sure somebody comes with you oh, or very it's just, interesting. it's
0: just going to be on you. So you're saying that like if you go and make this big cross country move because that's what's in your own personal best interest, but you don't have enough help, when it blows up, it's coming back on you. People yeah. are going to blame you and you're going to regret your decision potentially. And now you're going to be in this scramble mode where you have to like go, you know, chase AD and break all the tampering rules <laughs> to go snag yeah. him to kind of salvage it, right? Where... If you're KD, you don't want to walk down that dark alley. Or if you're Kawhi, you don't want to say, "Okay, I'm going to go try to steal LA from LeBron with Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams." Yeah, like
1: so. I, if I have Paul George's with me, then like, okay, right. now we got a team
0: that and makes I, a lot of sense so how do you feel about his choice of Kyrie as that guy now
1: that's where I have a little bit of concern um
0: oh tell me do tell this is this <laughs> is one of my favorite topics well because
1: honestly like I I when Kyrie, when Kyrie demanded a trade from Cleveland I was I totally understood it and I got it and I supported like yeah. his decision I, I wasn't like one of those guys like oh he's a fool for leaving LeBron who I was like no like if, if he's trying to figure out who he is and like you know, the limitations of, like of his leadership, or just you know, like, he's got to do it now.
0: Made a lot of sense. You don't want to yeah. be stuck in Cleveland without LeBron You don't be stuck LeBron in Cleveland
1: if that's not where you want to you know end your career or anything. Like, so do it now before LeBron gets out. Like, if you especially if you know LeBron's going to be out. Um, so I, I, I applauded him for doing it because I thought it was a great, and I thought Boston would have been a great situation for him. But things went so south, sour in Boston that like, I mean, it was just it was terrible. Mm-hmm. I can I can't think of a more horrible season for a guy to have you know just in terms of leadership um in terms of just like kind of just giving it giving up like in the playoffs like he just didn't care it was tough to watch
0: it was a toxic relationship yeah I mean during the playoffs too that's really where it came out but it was just
1: painful to watch and you could just see like guys were frustrated no one was happy it was just a miserable season like nobody really enjoyed anything that was going on so
0: could it work I mean is there a way Kyrie and Kevin, where let's say Kevin comes back, I'll even say, I'm going to give you 95% of Kevin. He's going to come back to 95% health of where he was, and Kyrie's, you know, still in his prime. Are these guys that can compete on a championship level together if you have the right pieces around them?
1: To have the talent, but my concern is is more just, like, the personality, and also my concern is what I saw Mm. in 2016 when they were part of Team USA. Oh. During that Olympic run, um, you know, one of the issues that they had was that they didn't really have a floor general right. outside of Kyle Lowry, and they were more effective with Lowry running the team.
0: So I remember writing that Kevin was out there on the uh, on the wing rotting like a dead fish. I think at one point. <laughs> now you were talking about being mean about USA basketball, but there was some moments of frustration for me watching those teams because yeah, there's Kevin nothing never, worse than when when Kevin's not involved. It's he like, was
1: not involved, and yeah. he never asserted himself until like the very end. Was like his teammates were like, "Yo, Kevin, we need you to be Kevin <laughs> yeah. Durant. Like, like, like please to, save us. Please be Kevin Durant." And and I think that was one of the things that like like I, I was like when I when I heard it like they wanted to play together, I was surprised. Like did Kevin not watch the Olympics? Like, like for me, that that stood out to me, that, you know, playing with a point guard who could, you know, share the ball and, like, knew how to set up teammates and knew how to run an offense. Um, I mean, Kyrie's – what makes Kyrie special and, like, what I think some things he kind of got lost in in Boston is his scoring ability. Like, Mm -hmm. don't try to be more than that.
0: I mean, he's almost a two-guard. He really is a two-guard. So, if they play with, like, what if they do Dinwiddie – you know, or the, what if they have, like, a placeholder? I just don't
1: know. I mean, maybe Garrett Temple, maybe he can kind of help, you yeah. know, be that. But I, I, I just – I I feel like if you have those two together, you know, who's going to be the guy that really brings – it's, you know, because if Kevin got frustrated with Steph, you know. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about Steph Curry, yeah. right? I, I can't imagine that he wouldn't have the same frustrations with Kyrie. and. No, there's more Westbrook
0: to Kyrie than there is Steph, right?
1: Yeah, and also in terms of like a manageable personality. Yeah. Like you figure, like, if he got frustrated with Steph, that Steph would be like, okay, I can adjust. Yeah. I Steph's don't see- like
0: the patient husband of the year, like the yeah. good housekeeping husband of the year, yes. like teammate of the year. So I, I
1: could see that being something to where, I mean, not that they have friction. I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, lead, say that he and Steph have friction, but you play with somebody, you're going to be frustrated time mm-hmm. to time. It's a long it's season. Just, yeah, it's your, your teammates and everything. But I, I don't know. Like, him picking Brooklyn, I, I, I was surprised that and – it, and it was great for Brooklyn. You know, I don't want to uh, discredit what they've accomplished as a franchise bouncing back from that, you know, terrible trade uh, with the Celtics. But, you know, to be at this place where they could get to, you know, max free agent and say, yeah, I want to play for you. Um, but I, I, I do wonder, like, when he comes back, you know, you know that he's going to have to carry a lot of weight. Right. You know, and there's going to be a lot of expectations with him coming back. And there's not, like – a natural thing where I can say right away, oh yeah, those two guys are definitely going to play yeah. well together. I don't see that. Like right now, there are a lot more questions in how they're going to play together than answers. And I, I and, and not just because Kevin's coming back from an injury. Like you say, I'll give you 95% of him coming back. Yeah, OK, well, yeah, that's that'd be great if you're yeah. Brooklyn. But then I also got to figure out, well, that's going to be a tough thing for Kenny Atkinson because he's got to figure out a way to sort of get somebody out there who can run a team
0: right I think I got questions defensively too I mean I think Steph's a more committed disciplined defender than Kyrie and I think that matters especially when you're in the playoffs yeah. um, and I, I mean the thing is we're not going to get any answers to these questions for another 12 months and I think that's kind of the frustrating part to me and, and we can't blame the Nets for that I mean it's it's the injury from Kevin it's yes or no Kevin wins a ring with the Nets I know that's a loaded question. I'll, I'll start off. I I don't think it's gonna happen. I, I say no.
1: I have a hard time seeing it. I, I don't want to say no because I don't know what's gonna happen, um, you know, this season or the summer. But I I don't I don't see it unless they make some. I don't I don't see yeah, it.
0: Yeah, unless they get a big three. You know, unless there's like a, some other big star that pops in there. But unless unless
1: say like Karis Levert, you know, just blossoms into like right. you know s- you know something truly special but I just I mean, I have a hard time seeing yeah. it happen
0: there. For me, some of it is anti-nets, and some of it is just kind of pro what the Sixers are doing and pro what the Bucks and, and just like the presence of Giannis. If I was advising Giannis, and I like to pretend to a lot, we have this whole Giannis-ing <laughs> concept that we, we talk about, but he should be staying in the East for his entire career. I mean, I think, I think oh, it's just sure. like a runway, like it's perfectly like lined up. Yeah. yeah. So I think if you're Kevin and, you know, your title window as a main guy is in the next three, four years, that's Giannis's prime. Like, that's a a significant obstacle. And, you know, I think in a vacuum, if both are healthy, I still think Kevin's a better basketball player. But that's, like, you know, a real issue. And they've got a head start sort of building around him. Uh, And same deal in Philly. So it's not totally to knock the Nets. But I think, uh, you know, that's a real challenge. I mean, it's probably going to be easier for him to win a ring in the East than the West, but I still don't necessarily see it happening. And that's weird because, like, what is – so if you think back, like, when you're first starting covering Kevin, if he winds up retiring with two rings – two finals MVPs it's not like it's a disappointing career but I do feel like the injury at that point might become a major defining uh characteristic of his narrative oh yeah in a way that you know, we never would have expected right yeah
1: no because I, I remember like uh when it when it happened it, it like I I really felt it like I like I like sitting up watching the re- I couldn't really watch the rest of the game because I was like whatever happens here doesn't even matter to me, like a nauseous feeling. Yeah, right? I, I felt. I felt like yeah, I felt sick because I was like you know because I felt history needed Kevin Durant more than the finals did, and I think that mm. you know he got caught up in a lot of things, um, you know, you know one you know feeling like he, he is obligated to, you know, fulfill his duties to this brotherhood that really gave him, you know, the platform that he desired, gave him an opportunity to become a champion two times over in a Finals MVP, and and he knew how much it meant for them to have him be a part of this and to welcome him in. So I think he wanted to pay them back. I think he also, you know, wanted to be the hero. Yeah. It would have been gr- a great story if he could come back. Oh, he
0: comes in and bangs those first couple yeah, of threes, yeah. and it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah,
1: so, I mean, then you also have the fan, the fans and, you know, media people who were, you know, questioning his toughness and yeah. whatever else. And yeah.
0: There was definitely – he could shut a lot of people up you know, yeah. by playing, right? Yeah, so yeah. There,
1: there was a lot to gain, but it didn't match what could be lost and now we're going to lose him for a year and we don't even know what he's going to be like when he comes back because, you know, this is a full rupture. You know, it's not like it's a tear, like, and and that's what made it so disappointing because, you know, um, know, I think he's going to work hard to come back. I think, you know, his skill set is something that makes it, um, you know, he's he's still going to be a great shooter. You know, he still has a great handle. Um, You know, he still can shoot from anywhere on the floor and just he's a great offensive weapon. But you know it's just you feel like you you missed out on seeing like true greatness ascend to like the
0: ultimate i'm with you i think i wrote that it was a basketball tragedy and then i feel the same way a couple months later and, and sometimes i'm in the moment you know you get caught up a little bit and then you regret like being over the top i think that was one situation where like that immediate nausea that you're talking about is just kind of persisted and uh i loved what you said about history needing him more than the finals that was brilliantly put Let's transition to another guy who's got another uh, major injury issue kind of hanging over his career, and that's John Wall. Yeah. You had a long piece on The Athletic, which I encourage everybody to check out. It's a Q&A. I mean, John's a straight shooter, and you've got a nice rapport with him because it's it's clear when you read the Q&A back and forth. Like, he's you know speaking from the heart. You know, it's no BS. It's just very honest. When I was reading it, I'm going to, you know, if you will indulge me, story time. (laughs) It reminded me of a press conference I was at with Brandon Roy back in Portland in the old days, and Brandon was an unbelievable competitor. He loved basketball, high-level All-NBA type guard, and the game was, you know, taken away from him. I think it's the way that a lot of people will say it. And Your I remember, knees. right. I remember being at a press conference, like standing, you know, as close as I am to you right now, kind of shoulder to shoulder, and watching like tears well up in his eyes. Mm. And so I, and, and this is towards the end of his career, where he's starting to realize, like, you know, the surgeries are happening, and he's not going to be able to come back. And some of the predictions that he had made for himself about getting back to where he was, it just wasn't going to happen, right? Yeah. And I remember writing it, and a whole bunch of people in in the comments of Blazers Edge, the site I used to write for, you know, Blazers fans. They were doing the fake news thing to me they're like what do you mean he's got uh you know his his eyes are welling up like they, i think the, the denial was that deep for them it's like they didn't want to admit that this could be the end for brandon in, in a very similar way that brandon didn't want to admit that maybe this was going to be the end for him and even there as a reporter who wants to write the story of amazing basketball player is no longer the amazing basketball player and I had to be like, look, guys, you know, and I was kind of replying to them. I was standing right next to him. I wouldn't make up a detail yes. that he's got tears in his eyes. Trust me, this is a very emotional time for everybody. I get it, but we need to kind of wrap our minds around it. The reason why I tell that story, uh, you know, reading John, he's so forceful in a lot of what he says. He tells you, I love D.C. I want to have the chance to run it back with me and Bra- uh, with me and Brad. Bradley Beal. <laughs> if you put us on the court together. Um, we're still right there with anybody uh, at their positions. And that's something that they had sort of maybe taken some heat for in past years. Um, And I think he also was pushing back pretty directly about, you know, critics of his contract saying he has the worst contract in the league. And I think his line to you was something like, Hey, you know, get back to me in two years and we'll see how, you know, those kinds of criticisms are holding up. So I don't want to be too negative here, but as (laughs) I, you you can kind of see where I'm going. going. Is John in a situation where, It's slipping away. I mean, some very serious injuries back-to-back here that have knocked him out and have kind of put him into that thing where a lot of people are writing him off. Is his career reaching a stage that he can't admit to himself where it's actually at? Or is there still enough hope here? Are you still bought into what he's selling?
1: Well, I think there's something that he said to me that stood out probably even more than what you mentioned. And one of the things he said was, you know he just wants an opportunity to to show you know the wizards that you know he can he can do it you know if i can't do it then move on but i think he's he's understands that there's a possibility that he might not come back and be that guy
0: and he did say that bluntly he's like look don't don't just trade me yeah don't trade me now
1: yeah like let me let me prove to you that i'm worth the investment you made in me like I want I want to have that opportunity
0: that's unbelievably um, earnest for somebody in his situation yeah
1: and he's like you know and I want to have a chance to run it back with Brad I want to see this thing through because for him you know being you know it's, it's tough because like he I, he may never win a championship you know in DC and that's probably what he's probably understands like I might not win a championship but what can I what can I build as my legacy okay one I'm a guy who like gives my all to my community, you know, I, I, provide opportunities for kids. Um, you know, I give to, you know, homeless, you know, mothers, like, no, I, he's
0: single-handedly keeping the backpack industry in business. <laughs> I mean, this guy buys well, no, more kids' he, backpacks. He does that.
1: He also, but he also, you know, contributes okay. to like this, uh, this, uh, program for, um, you know, homeless mothers and, you know, helping them, you know, uh, you know, look after their kids, you know, there's a, this young girl, Maya, who was a cancer victim. Mm-hmm. Who he became really, but I mean, like he really does a lot of stuff in the community. He won the community sister award a few years ago, um, because of his, you know, what he does in D.C. Because he's really, he was passionate about being there. And I don't know if people know his story, but like his dad um, is from D.C. and um, and I think he figured out a lot of stuff later on in life. But you know, the fact that his father is from D.C., he didn't really get a chance to know his father. His father was in prison most of his life, and then he died when he was nine. So there's always like this one need to connect with, like...
0: It's like an obligation. Every time he's helping a kid in D.C., he's getting closer to his dad. Yeah, Yeah.
1: and and being there sort of, you know, sort of brings that out of him. And I I think that, you know, in some ways, you know, I've talked to people close to him and people who know him very well, and, you know, no one wanted this injury on him. No one wanted this to happen to him and for him to have the game taken away from him because this guy loves basketball. And I don't mean he just loves basketball, but, like, he watches every... Body who plays basketball? He will tell you the top high school players. Mm-hmm. He will discuss the top college players. He will break down games that he's watched. I mean, he will break it down all the way down. Well, he
0: was one of the first guys who used to get mad at our SI Top One Hundred because I'm sure he's got the John Wall Top One Hundred. You know? Oh, I'm sure.
1: Like he, I mean, I, he'll he'll know he'll know W NBA players. Like I'm like this guy is a basketball junkie. Like he loves the game. So to have it taken away from him right now with his, his injury is harder than, on him than I think anybody can truly understand. But I also know that, you know, people feel like he needed to grow up in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, that, you know, in some in some respects, you know, as much as he loves the game, you know, the life kind of took over. Yeah. The lifestyle sort of um, enveloped him and, and kind of got him off track, you know. Um, probably got his focus a little bit off. And I think now that it's, it's a way, that's why I asked him, like, you know, what are you learning, you know, from, you know, this time away? And he was like, you know, never take the game for granted. Yeah. And, and he said, not that I did, but I think the fact that he said it sort of let me know that, like, he's understanding that, you know, nothing's promised. And, you know, he's had to earn everything, his whole career you know he he likes to always talk about you know didn't make the like McDonald's team he's still bitter that Evan so He didn't
0: make the USA basketball team that he, one yeah year. he's really
1: uh, he's always be furious about that and that, i think for like the wizards it's almost this thing where you know Brad and John always wanted to be you know on this yeah. U- USA uh, stage and if they were healthy i mean if he was, if John was healthy he probably would have a good shot at it and if Brad you know he's about to have a second child so that that's an important obligation he didn't want to miss out on so they both really wanted this, and they can't be a part of it. But I, I, I think that John, sort of, there is a little fear that he won't be able to be that player. But he also knows that he doesn't want to give in to the negative, to the negativity. He doesn't want to give in to his haters. He doesn't want to give them fuel to say that he's not going to make it. And he also wants to live off that fuel. And he's always like I remember, you know, early in his career, he'd have a list of all the. All the haters, everybody who <laughs> said something about him in the media or whatever, uh, you know, he just write it down. Like, just make sure that he scratched it off. Like, remember you said I wasn't going to be an all-star. Remember you said I wasn't worth my max extension. Like, okay. he's on an $86, $86 million extension in two thirteen, and got killed for it. Yeah. Got killed for it. And I was like, why is everybody killing this kid for this contract? Like, he's he's earned it. Like, look at the numbers. Like, he's going to be a star. Like, yeah. Like, give him a chance to, like – and so, like – he did it and like he outplayed his contract and now he's got this big contract and everybody's like, oh, look, he's the worst contract. He's dealt with that even when he was like playing in his prime, like right. people were saying he's not worth it. So I think he's always used that as motivation, but now he's got this leg injury um, that sort of going to make it really difficult for him to come back and be the type of player that he wants to be. You know, he may not be as explosive, but I, I don't know if people truly understand just what he, how much of a, prototypical point guard he is but yeah. is that going to be useful in today's NBA you know a playmaker you know who can set guys up is that really what, what's the value in that now if you're not actually scoring and, know, and if you're not if you're not shooting I mean that's that's the yeah. tricky part and, for him and, and not shooting yeah
0: you, you mentioned earlier KD like the, the transfer post Achilles is going to could be pretty smooth for him I mean a lot of the things that he does he should be able to do with wall I do have pretty big concerns but I think the takeaway message from this is that John's obstinance isn't necessarily denial it might be more of just internal focus. I think the one thing
1: that, you know, I wrote the column, I wrote a column after he um, originally got hurt and how everybody was just killing the Wizards, like, oh, what a bad signing and everything. And I think the one thing that lo- that was lost in that was that he was really going through a really difficult time in life because he was just adjusting to being a father. His mother was dealing with, um, mm-hmm. you know, cancer and, you know, his mother's everything to him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he's going through a lot of life stuff that, you know, would break, you know, anybody right. and then to have the career or interrupted and have basketball taken away, it's tough for him right now. So, um I'm just glad that, you know, he's willing to talk and be as frank and open and honest as he was, but I know that it, he's got a lot of difficult challenges ahead and um and I hope that f- that you know, sometimes fans we just fans just try to, you know, marginalize these guys into like, you know, you know, cap space and just what they mean, you know, in their contracts, but you know, if you take a step back and just sort of look at where he is and where he wants to be in his career, you know, some, you got to feel some level of empathy for him that this isn't, you know, where he wants to
0: be. No, and I feel terrible for him just the way the injury happened too. Is like, you know, one false step, you know. Yeah. And then you slip and you're not wearing the boot or whatever, and now you're set back and now you, you have to face all of these questions. And it's not just you are away from basketball for a season – it's you're away from basketball and just being pilloried by everybody from every direction. I absolutely f- feel some, some empathy. And,
1: but I, I did I did like his uh, approach to how Brad, you know, is dealing, you know, dealing, because, like, the team is now sort of centered everything around Brad and they're building.
0: So he's not being uh,
1: territorial. No. He, he said, I want Brad to be respected, you know, as on my level. Like, I'm the franchise guy, but that's because I got here first. But this guy is on my level. Like, we are in this together and, you know. And I, I thought that was a mature thing for him to say. He also, you know, admitted to some of the, you know, friction that they've had in the past yep. where they bumped heads. And, you know, some of it is a blown a little bit out of proportion. It's never got to the point where they're, like, punching each other or anything. But it's just anytime you have teammates and you play with each other for a long time and you're young and you're trying to be the man. You're both trying to get max contracts. Yeah, I mean, like, no, it was, yeah, it, it's, it's, it was real. But, um, but I think that he's gaining some perspective and everything. I hope that. It turns out to be something beneficial, and it helps him grow. Um, of course, I'd also like to see him back on the court again, but I, I know it's going to be challenging.
0: All right, let's uh, close on one final question that came into openfloormail@gmail.com. openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. It's from Adam. Hey, it's another uh, guy we talked about earlier, Carmelo Anthony. He says, mm. did you see Carmelo's interview with Stephen A. Smith on ESPN? What do you guys think? Does he deserve one last shot? Do you really buy that he's a changed man? And then he asks, he throws in a little dig. He says, how well-timed was those? were those pickup game highlight videos and interviews coming out back-to-back uh, on the Internet? <laughs> so I think Adam's got a little conspiracy. He thinks that it was all part of this elaborate— you guys <laughs> um,
1: remember Hoodie Mello?
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing. Carmelo is pretty deep in the online video highlight I game. Mean, it's been years of this. Yeah. So, you, So you're saying you're not buying his conspiracy theory that it was all trying to get him a— Job. With the videos.
1: I mean, that's, yeah. that, that's he's been doing that for the last three or four summers, and you know, like ho- hoodie mellow became this whole thing that right. like, like it's like Olympic mellow, ho- hoodie mellow, like this is a new mellow. Um, but I, I don't. I, I think that obviously.
0: Well, let me ask you though: so, Is he blackballed? I mean, is there a situation where he, whether it's because of how he played in Oklahoma City and Houston, whether it's because of just who he is, just. Well, as a as a figure in the NBA, I don't NBA. like the
1: phrase "blackball" because to me that means that there's like some sort of conspiracy to keep you out of the out of the game. I just don't know his place in the game, and right. that's not necessarily because of his personality or his ego or anything. It's just more to do where does a volume shooter who plays the mid-range game and doesn't defend what role does he have in the NBA right now? Yeah, and I think that's sort of where he finds himself. Um, you know, sort of where. The game is moved in a different way than his game has, and he never really adjusted to that point. He had opportunity in Oklahoma City to play a certain way. Uh, he, he bought in, though. Right. I mean, he bought in as much as you possibly could expect a guy who was used to being the man to go to a team and be a third option. See,
0: I always felt like he was starting to say the right things, but I still felt like he – he because he was such a superstar there was something about kind of his essence that couldn't change and it was like remember in oklahoma city he's on that uh, podium the homie? and yeah you want me to start or you <laughs> want me to come bench. off the bench yeah. yeah i mean that was one and then i think also uh i mean he you revert to tendencies during gameplay and like he would revert to his tendencies like he might be saying the right thing about trying to play the, uh, within a system taking fewer shots he definitely did that But once he gets the ball on the wing, he's going to do the same things, you know, pound, 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 try to get to his shots that he was doing for the last 15 years because that's
1: what he knows how to do. And there's that famous uh, scene when he was at Houston last year where uh, he had a three-pointer and he he pump faked and the guy flew by him then he dribbled in. Yeah. And shot a two. It made it. And then, like, Dan, Dan Tony was like, my fault. But, yeah. like, no, Melo, that's you. Like, you don't have to apologize. That's We yeah. know who you are. Like, this is what we expected. Yeah. And you know?
0: somewhere in the background, Daryl Morey's on his computer just, like, slamming his keyboard <laughs> saying this is not how it's supposed to go. We told you during training camp what you were supposed to do. Yes. Yeah, I think um, – to me, what you're saying—you know—the game, whether the game passed his, his style by, or however you want to phrase it—but but, it.
1: but but one thing I do feel like I think sometimes the NBA, when they get they get caught up to a certain style of play, uh, it's not beneficial to just be stuck in that moment. That I mean, in that mode, like you look at the Warriors, they obviously revolutionized the game and forcing everyone to become, you know, three-point shooters because they had the two best shooters that probably ever lived, you know, on, in the same backcourt. But if you look at their championship teams, uh, the last two years, David West was very critical to yeah. them winning a championship. Where did he shoot the ball?
0: Yeah, mid-range. Elbows. Mid-range all day. Yeah. Sean
1: Livingston, where did he shoot the ball?
0: Yeah.
1: Mid-range all day. And I remember talking to Sean uh, a few years ago. I was like, man, you and David West, man, like, y'all, y'all don't care about this three-point thing. Like play, yeah. I play on, in the, on this, this three-point system, like, wherever, that's all that matters. But he's like, Well we hoopers. Yeah. And that's that's what hoopers do. Like if that's your game, then play it. And I think that, you know, sometimes like say Houston, they were looking at the style of play, threes, tack to rim. But I I honestly and I'm I'm gonna say this and it's probably not gonna be popular, they could have used Melo against the Warriors. Yeah. They could have used somebody because if, if, if they force you, you can't just try to buy three-point yeah. fouls all
0: day. Houston does get a little too dogmatic, right? Yeah. When you're when you're refusing shots completely, it came back to bite them against the Spurs in that one series. It came uh, back to bite hardened. them when they
1: missed 27 straight threes. Yep. Like, at some point, it's okay to step in and shoot a mid-range jump shot. So here's
0: my question, though. The counter would be not every mid-range shot is created equal, and people might rather have Sean Livingston shoot a mid-range, the kinds of shots that he takes where he's wide open, facing up, knows he can hit it. Compared to this, the the kind that Mello takes, where sometimes maybe it's off one leg and it's fading, yeah. And you know, I guess the the point would be, it's okay to take uh, mid range shots as, as long as you're making them. Of and course. is Melo at the point of his career where he's no longer consistently making them at a high enough rate where that that's still uh, an issue?
1: No, it's possible, and and I think that that's that's part that's sort of why he's now no longer in the league. But I don't think there's a there's a, a, a conspiracy. I will say this. You know if you look at like um where he is right now in his career uh it might be over um but like you could say okay let's go back there's he has two franchises that he's going to always be tied to denver and new york right mm-hmm. can't go back to new york like there's just i just you can't do that like can't do that to Knicks fans really right. you can't do that to him because he's not going to be the same guy and he can't go back to denver you know um you know you would think he could i'm sure that they would, you know, there are probably people within Denver's organization that would love to have him there, but he left on such bad terms. I mean.
0: I wouldn't do that if I were them. I, no, would, like, I wouldn't touch it with a 10 football. No, foot like pole. There's,
1: there, there's nothing good that could come from it, and you already got a young team that's, you've moved past Melo. Like there's no need to bring him back to there. But I don't see very many options for him. Right. The only one that stands out to me. Uh oh. And I don't know if it's gonna happen or not, and I doubt if it does, but I think it's something that they should consider. Lake Show? No. Oh, okay. They've already the Lake Show's already proven <laughs> that they don't want him, right? They could have signed him right away.
0: All right, all right. I was trying to guess Who, who's the team?
1: I, I would think the Lake Show and I used to think the Heat, you know, for a while. Um, but I think if this is just gonna be his last year. Yeah. And he just wants to have one more opportunity to play and to go out on his own terms, mm-hmm. why not do it in D C? Ooh, you want the Wizards? Why not do it in D.C.? The Wizards are going to be bad. You know, they already got Isaiah Thomas. They got, you know. So is this
0: going to be shades of like Memphis Grizzlies AI, though?
1: No, I don't know. Um,
0: because Iris is not from Memphis. Right. Oh, well, so you're was, saying you at least get, the hometown, get the hometown angle out of it? Get the
1: hometown angle out of it.
0: If you're the Wizards. So we get some Baltimore Bullets
1: retros? Yeah. How, but how are you, you going to sell this team to the Wizards? I mean yeah. to the fans. Yeah. The fan like I can't think of a franchise like Charlotte, Wizards, who else what other franchise is probably more irrelevant right now?
0: Oh boy, well that's a good it's gotta be Charlotte. I think that they're top of the list. I yeah. mean we were talking last week, we think that Mike could probably start for them if he played. <laughs> Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he probably he, he could hit some j's as long as I not run down yeah, so, back and forth. He might be their third best player right now at, he fi- at 56 is. years he old. But is. so you're saying you win at the box office, he you win with the, the hometown
1: office. angle, and I think one of the things that's sort of been underrated about Melo the last couple of years and doesn't get talked about a lot. You know, everyone talks about like you know he couldn't buy in, he couldn't play this style, couldn't play the system. But like that, I think once he left New York he became like i think he became a better teammate hmm. i think that uh he could be a guy that could be a role model for you know guys in a locker room because he's he's been up high and he's obviously now the lowest he's probably ever been i think he'd be very appreciative of the opportunity um uh, really you seen Rui, it all really Rui, Rui like that's his favorite player
0: uh, oh really That's that's who we. I feel like this is a buddy cop in in a buddy cop movie. This
1: is who he modeled his game after. Like he Mm -hmm. wanted to be like Melo, so you bring him in. You got a guy who, um, who I think uh, you know would love the fact that there's somebody, a young guy who looks up to him. I think he would appreciate that. Um, And you know, I don't. That would give him some
0: closure, is what you're saying. It
1: would give him closure, but you know, I remember talking to. Uh, Flip Saunders uh, Rest in Peace A few years ago I did a piece On Kevin Durant I mean Kevin Garnett Kevin Garnett About like how he was With the Brooklyn Nets And it just seemed like A really sour way For him to end his career Right I was like this is He can't go out like this On the Nets You know Like putting up Headbutting Dwight Howard And doing all this, Like stupid antics Like this can't be How he goes it out He was almost
0: like A shell of himself At that point yeah. Like he became The caricature You know yeah, yeah yeah And
1: he's like You know Doing all this stupid stuff And like, you're like Come on and I remember talking to Flip about it. He's like, well, the, the, the problem with him is that, you know, he doesn't have a franchise that, that connects with him anymore. You know, you know, people in Boston love him because he won a championship there, so he has a bond with the people of Boston. People in Minnesota love him because he brought so much to elevate Timberwolves basketball, but he, he has to go to a place where he's revered and loved. And it's funny because, like, two weeks later, he traded for. Him. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, he sort of basically he's really... like. And
0: by the way, yes, I love Kevin Garnett. Well, this actually um, to, to bring but, but to bring it, a full circle, that actually makes me a little worried about KD too. I mean, it, could the same problem you know take place in Brooklyn? Are they going to well, be able to fall younger, in love with him? He's younger, yeah.
1: and um, you know, I think he's still. Um, it's not the same situation, but yeah. uh, but I, I, I but I'd say just in terms of him going back to Minnesota, I think that was the way. It was it was meant to be for Kevin Garnett to go out as a yeah, member yeah. of the Timberwolves. I mean, you know, being a being seen as like a mentor for Carl Anthony Towns and all these young guys and helping them. Yeah, I think that's that's sort of a better way to go out than like being like some.
0: Yeah, he got paid too. I mean, fl- yeah, Flip took care of him. He did. And but he, I think they got their money's worth, like so, you're saying.
1: So, but right now, like I said, he can't go back to Denver. He can't go back to New York. So there really aren't a lot of places for him to go. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe maybe Charlotte if they you know, kind of take well, the same yeah, I approach. like
0: I like how you're thinking, though, because I don't think that right now Carmelo – a player like Carmelo usually would be the, the sort of guy, oh, let's bring him in on a minimum for a contender, and he'll be like the ninth or tenth guy. I don't think that his game helps at all, right? So like no. I mentioned the Lake show, I don't think that he brings anything to the Lakers that they either don't already have or that they would need. I think it would wind up being a net negative move. And the kinds of questions about ego and those kinds of things – which I think those are probably overblown a little bit at this point, those would come out because he wouldn't be playing, and people would be constantly asking him, "How You know, why aren't you playing, why aren't you helping? And I didn't like it when OKC made that move for Melo, and I, it failed for a lot of the reasons why I thought it would. Same deal with Houston, and I think if he went into a situation like that, it would be kind of being set up to fail and probably going out on a sour note, sort of where he is right now, almost reinforcing that. Honestly, it's a little bit like what Dwayne Wade did with the the Chicago or the Cleveland experiences where they just clearly weren't fits. He's not able to to bring... What he does best to the, yeah. to, the, to the surface And then he winds up almost looking like a bad guy He goes back to Miami They know what he can do And he has a really nice send-off
1: Yeah, but I, I think part of the reason why he had a farewell Or had that, you know, he could go out like that Is because he was in Miami Right. Like if, if Dwayne Wade was with the Cleveland Cavaliers Like, this could be my last year yeah, He's not doing uh, the jersey swaps He's not, I mean, honestly, I think that If he didn't go back to Miami um, If he wasn't traded to Miami that year I think he retires as a Cleveland Cavalier Oof. I think he does. I think he, yeah. I think he's like, okay, yeah. You know, How he,
0: much worse would that have been? I mean, he really did get a lot out of the retirement tour. Yeah, but, I mean, but I think going back to Miami,
1: like, rejuvenated him in, yeah. in ways. And, like, everybody's like, yo, man, you still can play. You know, because in Cleveland, he didn't know what he was. It's like, oh, it's kind of sad to see Dwayne yeah. go out like this. But he went back to, back to Miami, and it's like he's back in his element. And then all of a sudden he goes out. And I think he – I remember his. they played the Sixers in the playoffs. And I remember talking talking to him, like, what could have been his last game uh, there, and I was like, man, like, Dwayne Wade might be done. Yeah. And I think in his mind he probably was. And then uh, there were reports that came out that he was thinking about doing, and then, like, Chris Paul and Carmelo tell him, no, go back and, you know, yeah. go out the right way, right? And it, it, it helped that he was in Miami in a place where they loved him and adored him. Now, I don't know if his name would be enough to sell in D.C., you know, with the Baltimore Connection. But if you have nothing else to sell, I mean, you have Bradley. It Bill. couldn't hurt. I mean, yeah, yeah. And, there's and, no and, real downside. And if, it, and if he comes in sort of understanding that his role is not to be Carmelo Anthony. I mean, not to be Melo, but to right. be Carmelo Anthony. You know, Carmelo Anthony, mentor, you know, um, guy who loves Maryland and, and, and D.C. area. And, like, you know, he can come back and sort of be somebody you could sell and promote. I think that that would be something that would be appealing for him because he doesn't have a home in the NBA right now. You know, he doesn't – I mean,
0: New Yorkers – It seems like he wants one too. I mean, I think that's – my big takeaway from the Stephen A. Smith interview is you only do this if – there's something missing in your life if you're not yeah. being fulfilled. You don't go on television for an hour to talk about all these different situations if you're cool with your with the way your career has played out. Yeah. There's clearly something missing. I like this idea a lot. You're really selling me on this. Uh, at the start, I was well, skeptical. Well, about. no,
1: but also, also, and I'm getting back to just the interview, I think that he probably understood the error of letting Houston sort of dictate the terms of how he went mm-hmm. out. Yep. You know, letting them sort of talk about him or not talk about him uh and explain like why it didn't work sort of painted this picture that mellows a bad guy right yeah. it painted a picture like you he's untouchable or he's, he's not going to be able to buy in and i think that he in some ways he waited too late like he, he should have done the stephen a smith interview during the playoffs or during you know
0: like, or even right when he was leaving like when they were yeah, kind of holding him hostage because well, remember he was on yeah, their roster for months yeah. It would have been good to hear from him at that point, and I think. But, like, once
1: he got traded to the uh, Bulls, right? Um, yeah. And, like, you know, he could have gone, you know, after that and just been like, okay, I still want to play. I still got something to give to this game. And then maybe somebody would have given him a chance to, like, pick him up, you know, before the playoffs or something, and maybe he gets to go out that way. But now it's like he let the whole, summer, he let the whole season in without saying anything, let the whole playoffs go without saying anything, and then he let – the draft, free agency start without saying anything and it's like, okay, this free agency is pretty much over.
0: Yeah. And well, one thing I've long said about Mello is I've called him a bystander to his own reality. I mean, sometimes <laughs> he winds up like watching the Melo show and he's not really like taking control of what, like LeBron is like this puppet master who's like, you know, thinking like multiple steps ahead yeah. and like lining things up and Melo is the guy who's like, oh, I didn't realize you could take a three-year contract, so I just signed five because I wanted the money, you know? Like, yeah. He's like, he, he sort of has that vibe to him. I never,
1: I never faulted him for that, because I always understood where he came from, and I understood that, you know, growing up in Baltimore... I mean, LeBron came from a similar, similar situation in Akron, but... But clearly, he'd been around different people who kind of molded yeah. him to see the world a different, different way, and also understand. He understood his power.
0: Yeah, I guess at I, a young age. I look at LeBron as like he's actually a mogul, and Melo, he's kind of been like an aspiring mogul like yes. the whole time, like <laughs> always. <yeah. laughs> you know, like but
1: but I, th- I think that in the respect of, you know, he. I mean, him, him telling me stories, like like his, um, like him and his friends, like in Baltimore, like. They would just scrape up whatever money they had and go buy like a wing box and they just share all that. That'd be what they ate, you know, because that do whatever you can to hustle to get whatever you can. And, you know, so everything, you just hoard it. Like, you don't have much. Right. You, you know, you got to make the most of everything you have. So. Well,
0: and that was something he said too, was like, I was young, of course. I'm gonna to try to get 30 points every game. Like Chauncey Billups is like, you know, kind of trying to make it seem like that was a negative thing. But Carmelo's like, look where I came from. Like this, is, of course, this is gonna be my mentality. Like, what do you expect?
1: Yeah. Like, and, and if he's if he's trying to make a name for himself and he's trying to, you know, you know, really get as much as he can out of the game, then that's that's in his mind, that's yeah. all that matters. Um, and that that probably wound up being a, uh, a deterrent for him. But I, I think he's in a different place. And I and I don't know if a lot was made about. The fact that, you know, even though it didn't work out, I I, I think he did make some sacrifices in Oklahoma City.
0: No, I hear you. Well, I think that the the major takeaways from our interview conversation today are let's give uh, Mello another chance. Let him go out on the high note. Let's not give up on John Wall. Let's cross our fingers that Katie gets some help because Kyrie's not enough. <laughs> and uh, let's not freak out if USA Basketball winds up not taking the gold. I think, is that uh, does that, that summarize where we're That's we are a
1: at? pretty good summary. All
0: right, State of the Union. Um, Michael, thanks so much for taking the time and, and having this conversation. Safe travels back to, uh, I think, home, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Looking well, forward to going well, home.
0: It's an August lifestyle. Thanks for joining us. Guys, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, email them. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. We'll keep one episode per week coming here for their next uh, month or, month or so will be with USA Basketball in Los Angeles next week, so plenty more coverage there. Uh, if you have any uh, requests for future guests, let me know that as well, uh, guys. If you get the chance, go to Apple Podcasts and search for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy. It helps us spread the word. Also, I'm on Instagram at Ben Follow me there and on Twitter for live updates from USA Basketball here the next couple weeks uh until next week guys i will talk to you